I mean, this is it's oh. we're at the, it's it's too serious to joke about with her, Dominic. I've realized this. It's like, uh, I'm not joking. Saying. I'm not joking. I just know I, that I, the I'm, start I'm afraid, of the show I'm was just afraid, going to be. To, afraid to even talk about yeah. what may be happening in baseball. But yes, Mina Kimes are our favorite. We ranked everybody um, yes. against my will, and Mina Mina won. Um, she always wins. Can we start with the topic that I actually want to talk about with you guys in a real, like, sincere way? Because the Dan Snyder thing. I, I know we've all given takes about this at this point in the day, but the number one thing I find interesting about this, truly, if I can just like cut to the chase in some sense, yeah. is that this is only a story about ethics and misconduct and settlements and allegations and culture insofar as it is, in fact, to our earlier reference, a story about business and finance. I mean, this is the reason why Dan Snyder feels cornered. It's because the dude is costing fellow owners money because mm. the gate of the Washington Commanders is the lowest in the league. He has failed at getting this new stadium. And Don Van Natta has said, he said on ESPN Daily today, like, flatly, this is the thing that actually angers owners. It's not any of the things about culture and misconduct. It's just the fact that they need him to get a new stadium and he's not good enough at business anymore, for various reasons we can discuss, to get yeah. that stadium. What I found fun so profoundly depressing about this story, there's a lot of things that are depressing about it, um, is that the big headline, the revelation here, is that Dan Snyder has claimed to have dirt on owners. Not necessarily that he has dirt, he's denied it, in fact. Um, and that used it as an intimidation tactic, to, which is the answer to the longstanding question of why didn't they get this guy out of the paint? Everybody dislikes this guy. It's in the story that everybody dislikes him. Yep. Um, and And... To go back to what I said, what's so depressing about that is Dan Snyder has done exactly this to his own employees, but that didn't matter. Like the intimidation tactics, the bullying, the silencing, yep. the all private eyes in the Washington Post's fantastic reporting on it, the government's, the House Committee, um, their own investigation into it. Um, but it's only when it's in fact turned back on the owners that it suddenly becomes an existential threat for him. I guess. Depressing, unsurprising, you know, we're all pretty cynical about this stuff. And like Pablo said, it's ultimately not going, nothing's going to happen until it actually affects their bottom line. Um, but yeah, it, it has, it moves the story away and the story has kind of moved because we've so long acknowledged that Dan Snyder is not fit to be an NFL owner, has done many things that are worthy of criticism to this debate of, well, what's it going to take? And I guess that sucks i i'm i just it sucks it sucks yeah. that we can't just talk about the thing and that the thing itself is not enough it has to be this conversation about the thing outside of the thing which is what will actually motivate these owners to act i appreciate that you are fighting back some of my own cynicism because when this headline popped up this morning and i was like oh okay yeah i know and then I read the article looking for like a big bombshell. And I guess the bombshell was that all the things that I knew were being validated is like, it was a great job reporting by uh, Don and Seth and Tisha. However, what they were doing was kind of con confirming something that I think we all already knew and it become like numb to is that they don't care about nothing but money <laughs> you know like that's <laughs> what it comes down to and it's sad it's disappointing it's frustrating but it always comes back to that when we're talking about issues of misconduct go ahead mina no i will say though there is a point at which 
these two things intersect the caring about the money, the fact that it's going to take something financial to actually spur action, and the thing, the things yes. that Dan Snyder has been accused of. And that is actually um, what happened with the government. Uh, the story lays out, you know, the difficulty right. that they're having in getting a new stadium and how it was basically a done deal. But what ultimately stopped that from happening was outrage, was public attention, was media coverage. So for every person who reads this and thinks nothing's going to happen, nothing matters, it's just a bunch of rich guys, well, actually, something did matter. The fact that the Washington Post did this incredible reporting, despite the fact that the NFL did their own investigation that they didn't release, that they basically covered up, that they were, you know, had this weird agreement with Snyder, it mattered. It stopped something from happening. And I guess I just want to stress that part of the story because that can get lost in all of the cynicism. Yeah, and it does feel like a bit of a Rube Goldberg device in terms of like, how is it that the bottom line, how is it that these owners get affected such that now we're having the conversation? And it is because there have been enough stories that have stoked public outrage yeah. that have affected not the owners directly, but the politicians who are otherwise going to say, here is a lot of public money towards yes. the funding of this new building. And so it's really a story about like, thank God we live in kind of a constitutional democracy where yeah. like there is a check and a balance and that like right. journalism does matter because it's not directly impacting the owners who are shameless. It's impacting the system right. that had been granting Dominique, as you well know, free money to private businesses. Yeah, I mean, it's it's encouraging. That part of it is encouraging. I think uh, to Mina's point, you can think back to like the FedEx pulling their money out and like the minority owners like being outspoken. It reminds me generally of like, it's not a movement, but it reminds me of general like how movements operate. And we often get criticized when there's like, yeah. say, someone having some demonstration or someone tweeting something like that's not actually doing anything. But it's drops in the bucket when you are, are like contending with power and those drops uh, eventually add up to something. And not only is it, is it about the stadium finances, financing, it's about the like attractiveness of this team to like fans and nobody wants to be associated with them. No one in this city that I live in is comfortable like the last several years were, were comfortable saying I'm a Redskins fan. It was something that was like shameful to say because of the name and the fact that they weren't winning made it even more shameful. And now it's like no one wants to be out there in support of a team that's owned by a guy that has not had success and has been accused of uh, horrible sexual misconduct. So like, I think that all this does matter. It gives me some hope, but it's still, we haven't gotten to a point where anyone's actually paid a price. I guess not getting the stadium built is a price to be paid, but John Gruden got fired. Uh, Paul Allen is out, but the rest of like Dan Snyder, the one who's the ringleader is still running the team. Like allegedly just like not actually literally being there to run a team, but making decisions from the outside. Yeah. Bruce Allen. I want right to highlight right. yep. the quote that Alabaster just brought up from the story, which hasn't gotten a ton of attention, but a former Washington team executive who knew about the, um, the alleged sexual assault said if the details were made public, it would be the tipping point to Snyder's removal as an owner. I don't know if that's true. We have seen mm -hmm. mul a multitude of examples of in the NFL, you know, involving not just owners, players, executives, whatever, where um, allegations of sexual assault, however graphic, don't actually result in the sort of change that many of us want. I do know this, though. It must be made public. This says if. If all the details were made public. The last time the NFL looked into this 
with the Beth Wilkinson report, they did not, they didn't even write down the details. We know now that because of the, the government investigation, Mary Jo White is doing her own investigation. And if there's anything we can, the media can demand out of all of this, it's that exactly what this executive is saying happens, which is that the details of that allegation come out. Um, that is the, for, you know, we can't make the owners do the right thing. We can't make the NFL even enforce their punishment, although we can call upon them to do this. But this is something where I actually think public outcry will have an impact on what happens. Yeah, and this is referring to that seven-figure settlement that has been reported now that Dan Snyder paid to a woman who accused him of horrible things on 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 a plane, on 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 his plane, on his private jet. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, I will say this um, for Dan Snyder, right? Like, this is a man who obviously is infamous for his paranoia. Um, I, it does feel that like everyone around him would prefer for him to not be an owner anymore. So like, it's a weird thing where like he is, as per the story, behaving like a caged cornered dog. And that is insane, but also he feels the walls closing in. And so the question is like, how much of a land war is Dan Snyder willing to fight on this? The answer to that, we know as long as it takes. So I, I wanted to lay out on this, but I do have one follow-up question. Um, and that I, I realize that the owners just care about the bottom line and he's costing them money. But I do wonder how much a story like this galvanizes support against him because against Snyder, because he's literally like hiring private investigators to stalk some of them. He's brought, you know, a huge PR disaster to the league. He's embarrassed all of them. Can a story like this change that it's not just about the bottom line, that it's about, yeah. you know, their club I also? Mean I think the point of this story, I, I mean, I, I don't know, we don't get too much into speculating about this, but I don't think this was based on the like level of the people who the reporters talked to. This wasn't a mistake. Like they didn't uncover some documents. Like there were executives and team owners who were willing to talk wanted to, to talk yeah, about this. to award-winning journalists. Like they were not, they yeah. they had this was intentional. And it was the intention, I think, was to try to get the public in a position where they were we were on their side when they're pushing a Dan out. So we'll see. And that's, you know, again to the core question of what's it gonna take? What really moves the needle? Well, the needle has been moving on this. I know it doesn't feel sufficient, but the fact that, as Dominique just said, these executives and owners are talking to these reporters, that they are complaining about them, that they are putting out suggestions. They're like, okay, how might we do this? Can we get him to mm -hmm. sell to his wife? Can we force it through the stadium thing? Can we, you know, take away his ability to acquire debt? All of that is something that wasn't happening five years ago, frankly. And it is happening because of the public outcry, because of the reporting, because of the government getting involved. Um, and I guess to anyone who, you know, says, you know, when stories like this, when there's like a sense of fatigue, when it comes to, a lack of consequences and obviously that is something that happens a lot in america and issues beyond dan snyder and his own team i just always try to put myself in the minds of the women and men who did step forward and came out and did so at great risk to themselves it's important to them to know that we give a shit, yeah. that yep. they didn't do it for nothing and the way we do that is just by continuing to talk about it the um so if they vote him out there's nothing he can do about it i think the hope is that he will like follow the jerry richardson path where he's like all right there's too much drama i'll yeah. sell it make and, a ton of money yeah make a ton of money and be done with it but the interesting part about that to me is when you get to a certain amount of money 
Like, I feel like there is no amount of money that will replace this in his life. Like the story yeah. talked a lot about how he's lonely and how he grew up a fan. And this was like the crowning achievement uh, of his life. Go ahead, Rena. No, no, keep going. Yeah. No, I mean, I just think that we we haven't taken into account like how miserable and isolated he is. And I think often you try a couple different strategies in a situation like this is like you want to make the alternative a lot more attractive than the status quo. So they decide to do it. But I don't think that you can possibly make the alternative more attractive than the status quo for him. So they're going to have to force him out, which will risk everyone being exposed, which I think can scare everyone off. I think that's not a really important point, though, because I think sometimes we view consequences as like a binary, either he's selling yeah. the team or he's not selling the team. And there are a lot of other things that this dude did not want to happen that have happened, including the revelation of all of this information that he has fought tooth and nail and continues to fight. So simply like, you know, saying, well, if, if he hasn't, we haven't compelled, if there's not been a sell, a sale, if the owners haven't gotten him out, this has all been a failure is actually a pretty simplistic and I think inco incomplete appraisal of the consequences of all of this reporting, like putting stuff in the public eye matters. I mean, this is something we yes. talk about a lot with issues when it comes to sports and ownership and, and all of that. It matters that it's out there, even if it doesn't lead to the ultimate consequence that so many people desire in this case. No, we know the pressure points. I mean, the pressure point psychologically for him is obviously the team. But the vulnerability he has is the public opinion's impact on funding a stadium. And that's that's where he messed up. That He waited question. too long. He waited too long. And now he's stuck. Yeah. Last question before we move on to some other stuff is, is said in the, in the article that he believed that all he needed was like the right quarterback. And essentially what he was saying is like, if they were a successful franchise, he thinks that he could have gotten the funding and all this other stuff, no one would turn on him. They, this team that's in one of the wealthiest uh, metro areas in all of the country is not in the top five of revenue uh, generation in the league. Like he believes all that would change if he just had the right quarterback and they won a lot. And I wanna say no, but I'm not sure that that's true. If they were yeah. competitive as hell for life. Right, no, this, it's about, I mean, the new stadium is a proxy for just more people buying tickets, which then get shared via revenue sharing with the owners who want them out now. That's and maybe he's maybe he's not wrong about that. Maybe if they had, I don't know, fill in the blank, good quarterback here instead of Carson Wentz, that's actually plausible. Oh, and also, I think public opinion would be less yeah. like universal against him if the football team had more success. But Dominic, I, I do think because he is an owner and not a coach or a GM. Um, the impact of the success of the team is a little bit mitigated, uh, especially at this point. I think even if things were to turn around and they did find the quarterback, I don't think I think it would be too late to turn the tide, at least based on me, you know, putting my finger up to the wind and, and seeing how Washington fans tend to talk about him. All right. We've we've talked uh, in depth about this, and I love that Alabaster has been quiet the entire time. But now I feel bad. So the lone Washington fan in. in our midst, I know. By the way. I know. It's a shameful admission, but it's true. Um, all right, guys, let's pivot to some of the exciting slate for this weekend's football. And when I was looking at these games, they're marquee matchups, but they also have like interesting spreads in how the public in Vegas views these games. 
And the first one is something I, I never thought I would see, which is Patrick Mahomes being a dog at home. And does that make sense to you that Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs are 2.5 point underdogs at home against the Bills and Josh Allen? Yeah, this is like the other way in which you don't want to have that dog in you, I guess. Um, this is rare. This has never happened before, sure. right? So, so is, um, um, home field still considered like three points. If so, they think they're five and a half points better than them on a neutral site, right? Like that seems shocking to me. Hello, Lenny, young Linus. That seems shocking to me. I readily admit that I believe that the Bills are a better team, but I also admit that it's Patrick Mahomes. So like, I I don't know, like betting against him seems stupid. Five and a half, if that's what we're going with. I I would be curious to see by that way, if that's changed because home field advantage has declined in recent years in the NFL. So maybe it isn't quite what it used to be. Feels a little high. Uh, I, I like, I know neutral field. If I was asked, I would probably go bills by like two, uh, neutral field in any situation. I think they are the more complete team. I think they have the better defense. I think the four-man rush is very good. Um, and I think like the offense, they're not more balanced, but they're more explosive. Dominique Foxworth, we talked about I just say her full name though. So weird. Yeah, right. We like talked it. about it. On, because you're in promotional um, mode. That's why you said it. We talked Fox about it on show. the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny. We also talked about it on Dominique Foxworth show featuring Alabaster. And now we're talking about it on Debatable Television <laughs> Show, unfortunately featuring me, I guess. Not on the daily. But but I do, um, but I do, but, but you mentioned something interesting, right? Which does feel like it's it, it's kind of the story of this matchup is that since the last time these teams played, they have both kind of constructed themselves to win this game, right? I mean, like if you're Mahomes and you were the best quarterback against the Blitz last year, now guess what? You're facing a team that doesn't need to blitz you, right? Von Miller, like, I just wonder how much of that is going to change the story of this, just the Von Miller part of it. Well, we just saw the Raiders four-man rush give the Chiefs hell in the first half of that game, and the Bills mm-hmm. pass rush. I would, you know, The Raiders edge rushers are probably comparable, but as a whole, the depth that the Bills have on their defensive line and also on the interior is better. Um, I just, the Chiefs are different from how they were the last time like the the bills are kind of the same team offensively as when these teams met in the playoffs but the chiefs are very different Mm -hmm. they do run the ball well they can string together these long stable drives but you know the receivers don't get separation the way that they used to um so it's hard for me to like i guess subscribe to the idea that like they're capable of the same fireworks but again i think that the offense is as efficient as ever so right. i'm not I, that's why i'm just not comfortable picking against them to that extent right yeah i mean the the firework capability i think is what will make you feel like everyone is in or feel like a team is in every game at all times and even though the chiefs were down 14 they came back in that game but it doesn't feel like against a team like the bills that that's something that yeah. is likely to happen without explosiveness of Tyreek Hill. The running game is a great addition that I'm sure the Chiefs are jealous of being able to, or excuse me, the Bills are jealous of being able to manufacture a running game without putting your quarterback at risk. But that ain't the same as as going 80 yards with Gabe Davis or Stephon Diggs. It's a lot more, yeah, which is a lot more concerning. It's a lot more challenging. The last argument for the Chiefs is when you are in the conference finals every year, or conference finals, still thinking about basketball, when you're in the conference championship every year and the Super Bowl multiple times. I think it's possible that you enter a lot of games. Like, 
eh, ho-hum, and we don't see the real Chiefs except for, like, opening day in big games. Like, yeah. I believe there's a legitimate, legitimate okay, chance wait, that I we're going to see a different version of the Chiefs, uh, a different coach version, a different game plan version, totally a different agree. intensity. This is, like, it's my favorite take that keeps on recurring on this show, which is the NBA does infect the NFL in this way too, Dominique. There is some sense of let's save the best Low version management. of ourselves. I for believe the Andy Reid does that. Yeah, no, well, he absolutely not just the, does. I, especially because the Chiefs. Okay, so Andy Reid is an extremely creative offensive mind, and it, and we have seen throughout, not just with Patrick Mahomes, but generally him break out wacky shit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I've cussed twice on this. I don't know if we can cuss. Wacky we stuff. Can. On um, in as long big as an even number, and they cancel each other out. And uh, yeah, I could absolutely see him pulling out some wild stops in this game, no question. I just wish I felt better about the Chiefs secondary, Dominique. Yeah. So that's, that's the thing great. that that's the thing, right? Like they they supposedly fixed it in the off season. That was their like to do list check, and then they get yeah, like they, they we get yeah, what I mean, they showed against the Raiders. Yeah, that's an extenuating circumstance. The problem is the Chiefs, I mean, the Bills have a guy like that too. So right. um, I think the real question is, are they good enough to stop them in too high, to stop them from passing? Because I still think the, the Bills could probably still effectively pass the ball against too high coverages against most teams. If the Chiefs can stop them from doing that there, that's a check in their column. But then the problem is when the Chiefs did that against the Raiders, the Raiders were gashing them and through the ground game for 10, 12, 20 yard rushes. And the Bills who can't run the ball, we'll find out. Yeah. If they can I mean, gash the the Chiefs in a situation. So I don't know. It, it's a lot up to question. We'll see what happens on if, Sunday. If you're the Chiefs, that's what you want. You want them to play like you. You want them to just you want to keep everything in front of you. You want that Bills run game, which has not been super impressive, um, to be more present than it's been. Uh, you also want Chris Jones, who's still one of the best interior pass rushers mm-hmm. in the NFL, to take advantage of what I do believe is one of the few, the Bills' very few weaknesses, which is the guard position. Um, if you can do all of those things and kind of force the Bills to play tight rather than letting any of those explosives happen, I think that they can stay in it. I mean, and on the other side, the Chiefs have been effective at running the ball even when they don't have the blocking advantage. Yeah. So, like, one of the weaknesses, another weakness is, is the youth of the cornerbacks of the Bills. And, oh, yeah. And so, like, if they can force the Bills into single high and Patrick Mahomes can attack those edges, uh, that is a terrifying thing, I think, for the Bills. And we might see an explosive version of the Chiefs. If the Bills pass rush doesn't win, the yeah. Chiefs absolutely can obliterate them through the air. I mean, the Steelers right. went after Kyrie Elam. I don't know if you saw them, like, pretty hard last week. If you think – uh, Kenny Pickett can do that. Let me tell you something about Patrick Mahomes and, um, you know, some of these Chiefs pack. And I'm not sure, by the way, with the injuries that they have at the safety position, that they have a real answer for uh, Travis Kelsey, um, if they can get some of those matchups. So it's a, it's a good game. It's a good game. Like, I, I that's my analysis, Mina. It's a good game. There you go. Right. It's a good one. I feel like we spent too much time on that. We got two more good games to get to. Mm. I just want to know what young quarterback Dominique was like, but I guess we can (laughs) proceed. All right. um, Perfect. Next question. Do you agree with Vegas that the four and one giants should be six point underdogs at home against the three and two Ravens? Mm. Yes. Mm. (laughs) Six point under. I mean, man, I I've listened to you guys on your various platforms. Talk about how, um, well, I actually do want to find out where Dominique feels 
on the Brian Dable spectrum now, because me and I just heard you talk about how Brian Dable clearly is the coach of the year. Right. And I get the argument. I get the argument. I've heard that favorite. now from multiple smart people, the favorite for coach of the year, but a six point underdog against the Ravens feels like maybe he doesn't come out of this week feeling like the favorite for coach of the year. Yeah. I think the six point underdog is evidence to the fact that he probably is the favorite right now because people don't <laughs> think this team is very good. Um, unless you think that wink, uh, having spent enough time, the defensive coordinator spent enough time with Lamar Jackson, he knows the answer. And actually, some people would argue that the all-out blitz is the answer to attack Lamar Jackson ever since that Dolphins game uh, last season. Yeah, I know that Lamar has answered those questions this season, but if that's not what you're going to do, what are you going to do against him? Like, it's kind of like you just... Lamar is, like, incredibly impressive and consistent, and then sometimes he just throws, uh, like, a, a pass that's just wildly inaccurate. And so that's not something that you can coach your defense to do. I guess that would be an argument against the zero coverage. It's like you want to make him be methodical all the way down the field. The more attempts you make him make, the more chances you have that he's going to have one of those errant throws that get intercepted. But the real scary part is on the other side. It feels like the way that the, the um, Giants score is not sustainable. Their drives are a lot of Daniel Jones scrambling and give the ball to Saquon and cross your fingers. <laughs> They're, they're the little giants, man. They're going to run the annexation of <laughs> in this game. They will do what – and this is why I love the giants, by exactly. the way, they will do whatever exactly. it takes. Like, oh, you want you want us to run yeah, Wildcat the, like five times? YOLO. Red zone, yeah, right. Um, yeah, I, I think that the, the dog – the line is a little bit disrespectful, I think, given um, the fact that the Ravens probably won't have Rashad Bateman, We the Wink Martindale factor – um, the fact that the Giants' offense right now, while somewhat limited, is creative. And also, they're very good at running the ball, and I don't think the Ravens' defense is particularly great at stopping the run. But the discrepancy in talent uh, between like a few key positions is just too significant in this one for me to feel comfortable calling for an upset. But I could see them covering. Mm, I, like I mean, that. okay, so Lamar, yeah, Didn't dude, they obviously, yeah, the best running quarterback in the league. Yeah, thank you. Confirming three seventy four <laughs> number. Just in case you were wondering, uh, is he still that good? Yeah, yeah. Jalen Hurts. Uh, I love how different him Daniel and Jones. Daniel Jones yeah. look running the ball. Like, yeah. the, I guess the biggest difference this isn't like particularly cute. Is that when Lamar runs the ball, I always, I just assume he's going to be fine because of his yeah. movement abilities, and I always assume Daniel Jones is going to get the absolute crap <laughs> out of him every time he runs the ball. He's fast. He's strong. He has great straight line speed, but he doesn't have the wiggle that Lamar has. And it's kind of scary for the record. I think he looks like a guy who's running on a hardwood floor in socks where he's about to tumble forward at any moment. Uh, <laughs> risky okay, business. Yeah, we got that yeah, a little risky that, business. Yeah. Yes. Last football question. Do you expect the Eagles to roll the Cowboys on Sunday night? The only advantage that you could argue that the Cowboys have is their D line against the Eagles offensive line. The Eagles offensive line is actually great, but injuries could, put them in position where the Cowboys could win there. So, like, even if the Cowboys win there, the problem is how are the Cowboys going to score enough points? At some <laughs> point, there are games where at some point you're going to have to ask your quarterback to do something. And block punts, sack fumbles don't happen, happen every week. And the Eagles can stop the run. They have a lot of talent, and they're well-coached on offense and defense. They are going to force Cooper Rush to be more than a game manager. And – Unless they can get a bunch of short fields for them, I think, yeah, the Eagles, I mean, I don't think they roll them because they actually, the Cowboys have a good defense, but the Eagles will not be 
in jeopardy of losing this game at any time. Mm. I was talking about the Eagles' offensive line versus the Dallas defensive line on my podcast, and I tried to make a Pacific Rim comp, and my guest didn't get it. I'm so glad that I'm on now with you Pablo. You have come home. Because, Pablo, what does this matchup remind you of? Oh, just like two Jaegers. Two Jaegers going at it. Just Versus two yes. Kaiju. Oh, uh, well, yeah. Well, the question is who is the Jaeger, Jaeger. and who's the Kaiju? That's a great question. Um, I would say that Dominique, the Kaiju are <laughs> the Kaiju are the Cowboys pass rush and the Jaegers are the Eagles offensive line. And that ultimately is why Ooh. I think the Eagles are going to win this because as good as the Cowboys pass rush is, that defensive line has not been challenged by like a dominant ungainly they're super aggressive and scary but you can run on this defensive line and i mean shoot we talked about daniel jones and his mobility he put up like 80 yards on the cowboys and saquon averaged 5.8 yards per carry here comes jalen hurts to down um and i think that's going to be an issue because I, like they might not get into a situation where they get to tee off on him in the pass rush alabaster have you seen pacific rip i have not i'm gonna go to dominique's house and watch it with him <laughs> come on over buddy all right, you guys do that. Um, but also, oh, God, we have, before we do that, we have, okay, Mina, thank you for your service here, but we're going to make even more terrible financial decisions, which we could probably use your help on, but just the two of us now, so. All right, we've gotten to the part of the show, Dominique, where we pretend like we're not going to make terrible financial decisions <laughs> on behalf of our audience, because this is part of our job, apparently. And we have to like get a disclaimer week. or something. I feel like whenever you get financial advice, you have to tell them like, you know what? This is not advice. Don't sue us. So like that's a thing. Just flash a giant paragraph of legal disclaimer over <laughs> our faces right now. That should cover us. We're done. Alabaster, what do you want us to legally analyze? All right, guys. So I'm going to give you some NBA futures and you're going to tell me where I or you guys, if you agree with the bet, will lose our money. The first one. The Clippers, the super team that's never done anything. They're the favorites to win the title this year. And you know what? I sort of agree with them. But will I be lighting my money on fire if I bet the Clippers to win the title at plus 550? So this is this is shocking to me, Dominique. Um, really? Wait, the Clippers are favored more than the Warriors are. That's what the first sort of data point here I've received from you, Alabaster, is. That is okay, because... Like, this is sort of the hipster pick, I would have thought. Yeah, that's so what I... Vegas that's goes exactly hipster, what, what am I supposed to do here? I don't know what the opposite of hipster is, but it's whatever that tie is you have on. So you are com <laughs> you are completely prepared Quincy to go House? <laughs> uh, My Quincy House, by the way. Anyway, oh the God. point is, how can... I, yeah, I, it's baffling. I, I heard so, lots of people talking about the Clippers are going to be healthy. And like you were, you were saying, it felt like the hipster kind of cool guy pick, but because they haven't actually ever done anything together and we haven't seen Kawhi in what feels like forever. And playoff P is, is a thing that moved away from mocking to like a little That's bit right. more legitimate, but still mocking. And like, I don't know, it just, it feels like a reach where normally people, at least when it comes to betting that are like, show it first, but I guess all hipsters are making bets. It feels like people are like, oh, man, you had to have really seen Kawhi Leonard at the at the small nightclub known as uh, the Toronto Raptors Arena, whose name is 
forgettable to me because that's how small the club is. Um, but no, but but this is about Kawhi. This is truly about Kawhi, and this is about the fact no, that the last time John we saw. Wall. Oh God. Okay. So, okay. There are two options here, right? There are two options to spin this into a good decision. One option is we talk about John Wall, who has first off, like opened up to the world in ways that actually are like really um, significant and interesting and having to do with psychology and, and his life. The second thing we could do is just throw up that photo on the screen right now of Kawhi Leonard's uh, like legs, because that's, that's the thing that I last saw with him. And if that dude is healthy, he is the Terminator. I, I just don't know if that's enough for them to be favored over the Warriors. So well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I'm an amateur to the gambling thing. So I believe that plus 550 still means that we're getting, like we bet $100, we get 550. So, I mean, yes. I guess we're not necessarily setting our money on fire. If we realize that, I think we both agree that they are a legitimate chance to be champions. But I guess I don't think they, so... You can get better odds for the Warriors. You get better odds for Giannis and the Bucks. You could get better odds for Philadelphia. Like yeah. I almost kind of feel like I'm a little bit more confident in the Nets, which I know sounds crazy. Like there's so many other teams that I think. I guess you're betting on the coach if you go with the Clippers. I've been told Ty Lue is like Bill Belichick. Yeah, uh, right? That's that's a thing. That's, the, the, the that's best in the best in playoff series adjuster in the NBA is Ty Lue. The sweatiest owner in the NBA is Steve Ballmer. Um, and I'm I'm sweaty thinking about trying to put money on this Alabaster. I'm, I'm like a no thanks on this, sorry. I, I, I will be mainstream lame on this. I'm a yes thanks, let's go. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll bet half a unit on that one. All right. All right, this one I actually feel more more passionate on. And that is the odds of the Celtics finishing the three seed or worse in the East is plus 115. And this is a bet because the East is loaded and the yeah. Celtics, you know, they don't have their head coach this season. So I, I want to hammer this one. Hmm. Reseed or worse, plus 15. So, bet $100 so, to make 15 bucks. Okay. To me, this is about like evaluating team psychology because I think that we all accept, and maybe this will be different. We all accept that NBA teams, it's not a ton of adjustments in season. And teams who have made it as deep as the Celtics have in the playoffs all the way to the championship tend not to be aiming for like high seeds in the playoffs, particularly when the playoffs or the, the conferences, both conferences are as deep as they are. So yeah. I think the argument is not that they are the third most talented team. The argument is they have something to prove or they really think home field or home court advantage matters. Like, I don't know. I think they're talented enough to do it. Or we're arguing that the rest of these teams don't care about it. Like, what is? I guess, what is the assumption that you're you're asking me to accept by making this bet? Right. I mean, the question that I'm asking myself to make it even easier is just like, do I think the Celtics, who were in the NBA Finals last year, who added Malcolm Brogdon, who was the point guard that they needed, I loved that move, Dominique, because Marcus mm -hmm. Smart, for all of his gifts, was an agent of great chaos, as he almost always is. They actually have a guy who will do the things, move the ball, set up their, their two stars, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, of course. Like, I like that. The question is, like, given the fact that Time Lord is hurt, given the fact that they don't have a head coach and we have no idea <laughs> how to legally discuss that without sounding like idiots, is that just too much chaos for us to think that they're actually as good as their talent should, should suggest? 
Um, and I, I, mean, I, think, I don't want, I don't want to, I don't want to touch this either, man. First, first in this bet, I think it's important. Do you think that they are in the top three as far as talent is concerned in the East? Because I think that's a reasonable conversation. You have to think that they're in the top three so first. Philly and, and then, Brooklyn to me are yeah. one, two. And, and the Milwaukee. Celtics. Yeah, Milwaukee. And Mil- yeah. Milwaukee's three to me. Milwaukee's I, that, three. That, that's, that's my take. That's my hot take for this NBA season. I think Milwaukee's the third best team in the East. So, Ooh, okay. so in that case, like the Celtics are a plausible, they're a plausible four seed. But I don't like this bet at all. I don't, I don't like this. I, I don't, like, I, I don't, we don't like, know anything don't about like the, this coach. Okay. We don't know here, here, anything about. Like, here's the rule. Here's the test, Dominic. Here's the test. It's the ESPN app alert test. <laughs> I don't want to make a bet where I am just going to be terrified of every alert that I'm going to get because it plausibly might be about Ime Yudoka. Yeah. <laughs> no, thanks. Ime, we didn't know Ime was a good coach. In, yes, in he his was. first year, and he was. So we might be having the same situation. But I mean, this is not. Why is Alabaster only bringing us bets that are incredibly interesting to discuss? Good job. Alabaster. <laughs> <laughs> I figured it out as I was talking. Yeah, I was All like, right, oh, guys, I got. Shit. I got another brain buster. This one, I I looked at and initially I was like, no way I would bet this. But then I, I looked at the teams in the West, and that conference is loaded. Barely anyone is tanking, other than Utah and San Antonio. And the bet here is for the Lakers to partake in the play-in tournament. So that means they're 7 to 10. <laughs> and it's minus 105. They're favorites to, play, to make the play-in, to be in that seed range. And I think that's fair. Yeah. This mean. feels like a mutual fund, Dominique. This feels like one of those things where it's like, it's yeah, minus it's 105. It's like, yeah. all right. <laughs> return's not but great, but you know it's Return's gonna... not great. Yes, but I have confidence in the in the fundamentals of how mediocre the Lakers are. I mean, so you can lose both ends. Like, there's a chance that AD gets hurt and LeBron actually ages more aggressively. There's a chance that you could lose on the down end also, which we're not even considering. Like, I think the argument... I think that's more likely than the top end opposite right. scenario. So, yeah, this... And the... Oh, so it's return. So we got to... This is... They actually think this is going to happen. So we're not getting extra money like we did in those previous bets. I don't like this at all. This stinks. Seven to ten. The play. Okay. So here's. So if the fear is that they're actually going to miss the play in field entirely, there are reasons to think that they're actually not good enough to do this. I mean, Anthony Davis is saying he's going to play the five. He says that every year. He has said in the third person, I believe that yeah. our coach knows that AD wants to play the four, which is just an amazing <laughs> Pablo. They know that Alabaster knows that Pablo Torre wants to be the one box. Like, okay, <laughs> always what, is. what an asshole. Now I know. Asshole. Now I'm going to force you out of the one box. I don't know when. <laughs> I don't know if it's today or whenever we have the ability to do this. But I want your ass out of the one box <laughs> until we humble you a little bit. Pablo. Do not edit this. Do not edit this. <laughs> this is contractually negotiated. Oh, gosh. I do think that the most interesting thing about the Lakers right now is what's happening with Russell Westbrook. Like, and him and the team. He seems to be wearing the Lakers jerseys while on the court, but he does not seem to be a part of the team. He's making like he's making statements with his behavior. Like he is making a big show 
of demonstrating to everyone that he will not come to the little the free throw huddle when Pat Bev waves him over. He will not get in the pregame circle when everyone is getting ready for the game to start. It's clear that he is like, this is my job. I'm going to do exactly what is required of me. The rest of it is on you guys. I want Russell Westbrook's fashion innovation when he's walking into the arena, Alabaster, oh. to just be a literal punch card. Bring in a punch guard, time in, time out, just here, so I don't get fired. I guess yeah. I, I, the one thing about that I want to know is like, why? What does he think he's gaining, or is this just like a show of pride? Because I think it's pride. I, I think this is a good question. Yeah. I think it's entirely just about. It's about how he wants to be able to look himself in the mirror. Okay. It's just like I, I can't Russell Westbrook. Like this is this is where I, I empathize, right? That dude, legit Hall of Famer, Patrick yeah. Beverly, is a glorified troll. And the idea that he's trying to be leader guy is just like, this is insulting. It's yeah. just insulting. And we know that the thing, the alert that's going to happen on the ESPN app, I'm like accidentally becoming an ad for our mobile yes, technology. But the, but the ad that's the app alert that's going to come across is Lakers trade Russell Westbrook alongside the two draft picks in the next couple of years, the way that LeBron James clearly <laughs> yeah. negotiated quietly, speaking of things that were semi-contractually guaranteed for, you know, Indiana Pacers. In which case, I do think they're a more likely play-in team, actually. So I'm feeling yeah. good about this one, actually. Yeah, I guess they haven't taken into consideration that they might improve throughout the course of the season. Um, but I, I, there's one, less pos one last possibility that I didn't present is that Russell Westbrook is actually showing restraint and there are some places that i'm like i can't go there if i go there i might do something <laughs> stupid it is possible that he's like you know what i can't get in this huddle because if i get in this huddle with this man i might do something stupid so there's a spin there's a positive spin on what he's doing is he is like i know myself yes no he's actually <laughs> looking at himself in the mirror and convincing yes good russ to take over evil Russ that wants to absolutely deck Patrick Beverly in the face. All right, guys, we got one more bet. And this one, spicy odds here. You know, the MVP is hard to predict. It's a narrative award. You know what narrative I like? What's that? Zion's back. Zion's lost weight. The Pelicans could end up being a top four seed in the West. And his odds are plus 2,200. He's ninth in the odds. And this is someone who's been historically efficient. And historical efficiency... That can win MVPs. We saw that with Jokic. We saw that with Giannis. Convince me why I shouldn't waste my money on Zion to win MVP. Brandon Ingram. <laughs> I, I, I actually, I would, I would, I would choose to use the words that you started with. Zion's back. Like, what are the what are the chances that he has a back injury? Like, what are the chances <laughs> that parts of his body just? I mean, we've already had this yeah. just this week. We're talking about ah, another leg thing, another another like lower body thing to Zion. Um, I think there's a really enticing – I like the odds here. I yeah. like the odds, admittedly. I believe getting... the narrative The narrative pitch Dominique is convincing. The Pelicans are going to be good. He's the best player. It's just a matter of, like, so is this is play enough? This is $100. We get 2200 back? Yeah. Is that what this means? Oh, yeah. Yes. Well, I like yes. these odds. I mean, it's worth, the, it's worth the wager. Zion is talented enough to do it. And at Yo, those that odds, team I think it's, is yeah. so fun, too. I mean, it's but the I thing of, the, like yeah. – it's the perfect combination, though, of, of like, team that's so much more than Zion, right? They made a playoff run last year. Jose Alvarado became this, like, this guy who now haunts Chris Paul, right? Brandon Ingram, who you mentioned, is, like, a legitimate, like, I think, 
I think he's a top three player on a championship team. I think he could be number three, CJ. right? CJ McCollum might be number two, but you need right. Zion to be number one. And maybe Ingram's right. number two. Actually. And that's the, that's the, um, the point is they have, the they tough, have the talent. They have it. The, the challenging part to me about it is no one has ever been like a surprise MVP on their team. You know, like if you are MVP, it's a lot like the Heisman Trophy is your coaches and your uh, your teammates have to decide at the beginning of the season, kind of like, yeah, everything's going to go through him. And it feels like Zion has not been healthy enough. And this team has been effective without it all working through him. I'm not sure that they decide, you know what? Let's go all in on Zion. They He'll should be the reason. They really should, though. He's the best player on the team, despite all of it. He is the guy. If they run offense through him, he's played point Zion before. No, Alabaster, you no, know this. No, no, oh, no, 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 no. It was no, so no. beautiful. No, it was so no, beautiful. No, 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 no. Why? No, no. Because they're not trying to win an MVP with Zion. If there's anyone who's going to have their their minutes curtailed and be like protected it's going to be the guy who can't seem to stay healthy for a course of a full season so mm. not only mm. do we need uh zion to play really well we need him to not get hurt and we need this team to yeah. like to lean in on him alabaster i do want to throw another hipster name at you though and and come on man herb jones herb jones herb jones oh, i love herb jones, herb jones. oh True. Like this is a lesson for NBA hipsters. Just say Herb Jones and just go. Uh, mm. <laughs> potential all defense guy, Herb Jones. Blocking mm. threes, rangy, uh. guard everything. Herb Jones. Um, we're going to go broke. We're probably going to go broke. Oh, no. Okay. No. No. Ah, glory. There it is. Right where I'm supposed to be. Goodbye, everyone. Have a great weekend. I'm the champion.